Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Alexei Kantukuzain Speransky is the co-founder of the Mayfair Collection. He spent the last 20 years in a business development role working across the service industry, fixed on supporting high net worth and ultra high net worth individuals. This has enabled him to gain an intimate understanding of both the needs of these clients and the type of services expected by them. He now focuses on helping others to refine their products and services to suit this highly demanding client base, while at the same time advising clients and their family offices about the best people to use. Uh, Now, I can honestly say, without any fear of contradiction, this individual who's been very highly recommended to the Sandro Forte podcast, I'm delighted to have him on the show today. This is probably the best name we're ever going to have on the Sandro Forte podcast. I thought mine was complicated, but this one does take some practicing. Uh, Alexi, welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Thank you very much. (laughs) It is the bane of my life. Now yours. I love it. I absolutely love it. You know, when you've got Alessandro Marco Forte, uh, that causes all kinds of problems. Yours, on the other hand, that's a different level. Where where does it come from? Um, so, funnily enough, I've just been doing a uh, piece of homework with my kids and the, the joys of homeschooling that everyone's suffering. Um, but actually, this bit was quite interesting. We actually went back and had a look at the family tree and... Um, Cantacuzane originated as Cantacuzinos, who were um, emperors during the Byzantian Empire. Uh, And we've dated, I think, the oldest back to 1100 and something. Um, And then they sort of moved into Romania, became Cantacuzino, then moved into Russia and became Cantacuzane, which is where the Speransky came in. Who, who it turns out was prime minister to Alexander the First of Russia. Um, so yeah, it's it's all a bit complicated and a pain, really. Wow. And, and I'm also loving that uh, that beard you're sporting. Uh, tell us about the history of that because it looks like you've been at that for a while. <laughs> yeah, the, the beard the beard is is. is uh, I've only shaved it off twice since I was 19. Uh, once was for my grandmother's funeral because she hated it. And the other time was for my wedding because my wife didn't want the photos to date, um, which was fair enough. Uh, but now it is significantly longer than it might have been um, because my children have bet me that I won't shave till all this is over. So I'm getting to the point of Grizzly Adams, I think. Well, let's hope for your sake it doesn't go on much longer. <laughs> Absolutely. You might get weighed down by that, but it is very impressive nevertheless. Um, okay, all, in all seriousness, we, we've got you on this, this uh, podcast, Alexi, because uh, you have a wealth of experience and we want to find out uh, all about you. So let's start the most obvious place, really. Childhood, where did you grow up? How did you know, all the roads lead to the place you're in now? Yeah, it's quite an interesting question because um, I come, I come naturally, I guess, 
from what most would consider to be a privileged background. Um, I was lucky enough to be privately educated. Uh, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a loving home, um, out in the countryside, running around, um, but also grew up in, in a slightly kind of confusing way on the basis that, having told, told you a little bit about my family background, um, the I come from two sides of a family that historically were incredibly wealthy. Um, and like most families that have been through that, it tends to get to the third generation and the whole thing falls over and somebody has very kindly wasted, wasted the money away. Um, um, where I was brought up in a very lovely way, but always knew that I would have to go to work. This was not something that was going to be sustained. You know, my grandparents paid for our, our school fees, um, which is incredibly kind of them. And, um, but also it did mean that we sort of lived this slightly strange life of privilege in at their house, uh, which wasn't unlike Downton Abbey, to be honest, um, to us being a very normal family at home, sitting around the table, you know, cooking our own food and, and you know, going to the supermarket. Um, but I guess the driver for me early on was being being the second son of the only female child, the chances was I was going to get nothing. So I had to kind of make my own way and get on. Um, which sort of, talking about the education side, I, you know, having been privately educated, I'm dyslexic. Um, so even with a private education, it wasn't necessarily, or, or the classroom side of it, it wasn't necessarily something that massively interested me. Um, but people did. And so my parents spent quite a lot of time finding the right school for me because historically the family had been to Harrow and, you know, that was just what you did. And so I actively tried to get myself expelled from my prep school in order to, to not go to, go to Harrow. So I wasn't sure how to have that conversation with my dad. Um, but I think, it, you know, I ended up going to um, a very well-known school up in Scotland um, and had an extraordinary time uh, because it was about people uh, and it was about strength of character and the you know the the school motto is plus et en vous which is there is more in you and the staff there did all in their power to eke that out and to you know and it was tough um and you know it definitely had your, had my down moments there but most of it was about not just survival, but having the personal skills to to be okay in any sort of situation. So, and in, in a perfect example of that within the school, what with it being partly a charity, you know, I was at school with uh, two or three princes and princesses of various countries. Um, but equally, I shared a room with one of the guys who came from the fish, fishing village down the road, who sadly had been orphaned. Um, and you know, he was there from a charitable perspective, but equally, I think he probably made my life richer because of, because of his background. Um, and I've always taken that as a very, um, a, a, a real, uh, what's the best way of putting it? A real inspiration. Um, you know, you can never, you can never look at somebody and guess 
what what they might be able to bring to your life. And uh, he was a perfect example. I was just I was listening to you uh, talking about your schooling and you know, being surrounded by princes and princesses. Is that the time you decided to change your name from John Smith to uh, Alexei Kantogazane Speransky? <laughs> just to- yeah, it was. But with a joke. It cost me a small fortune, but, you know, it was per letter. <laughs> so, um, so obviously, I, I mean, it's a, a number of people we've, we've spoken to that have, you know, have dyslexia and have, have struggled with it on the one hand, but have excelled almost because of it as well. It's, it's really fascinating that we talk to so many successful people who have had or had to overcome some of those, some of those challenges that, you know, many of us don't even think about. So what led to uh, the Mayfair Collective. I think probably a good good starting point to understand what exactly it is and then, you know, what um, skills... You you talked about a couple of um, your... the the characteristics that I guess have developed over time. So, and and people being a very important part of who you are and how you operate. Um, What First of all, what is it? And then secondly, kind of what led you to setting the business up? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, the Mayfair Collective uh, started out four years ago uh, just being an event. Uh, I think we'd, we'd been to, the seven of us that were involved at the time uh, had been to endless networking events uh, around London because it was the main, main way of us gaining business and meeting new people and, you know. Uh, and so many of them were done in a slightly, you know, pay-to-play way or the guest list hadn't been very well thought out, or you ended up meeting the same people time and time and time again. And, you know, there are a few people that I was, I was talking to at the time. They said, well, why don't we just run an event together? So we did. And actually, it was uh, the first one we did was at the House of St. Barnabas, um, which is a beautiful place. If you haven't been, it's definitely worth going. Um, but the House of Barnabas was just a kind of a perfect, perfect place because of the f- philanthropic side of the, the house itself. Um, but also it allowed us to be more, create more of an intimate feel. And it what definitely wasn't about gaining business. It was about introducing nice, like-minded people. Um, and, you know, we've been told it's, it's a bit like dating, but it, you know, and it sort of should be, and I think networking should definitely be about long-term relationships and not just handing over business cards. Um, so we we developed that, and from that, a whole load of questions started coming out um, from those events of, oh, do you know anybody, you introduced me to this person, do you know anybody that does X, Y, and Z? And inevitably, the answer between us was yes. Um, and but then it came down to well, okay, you're looking for a lawyer. What sort of lawyer are you looking for? And then they go down to their profession. And so let's say it was a family lawyer. Okay, but what is it? What sort of personality do you need? And very often it's the advisor asking the question. And so it was more. It became quite obvious to me that fitting people's personalities together. Um, as much as their professional acumen is is sort of the core to business, and so the Mayfair Collective has sort of grown up to be uh, a place where 
advisors can come and ask a question by describing their client without divulging too much information, but describing their client in such a way that I can put forward three three or four options for the advisor to then meet and then put the right person in post. And I think it's it, it's become a very cost-effective way and time and cuts out the time wasting of getting to the right person to serve the right client. Yeah. Um, so we are there effectively as a, as a, a black book um, for many professions, but also in that you know there's a there's a fair bit of kind of deal flow that that comes through as well. So. You know, in the outset of, of this, um, somebody came to me saying they need. It was in the very early days when China was still still really in in in, in bad shape, and all the factories were shut, and they they had the PPE problem mm. um, because they weren't making any, and they ran out of it so quickly. And so I got a phone call saying, "Lexi, listen, of all the people that would know, do you know where to get some? I'm, I've been asked by the Chinese government to to source some." And within, I think it was four or five days, we managed to pull together 30 million pieces um, from around the world. Um, but within, I think, two days of us getting them all in the right place, the price point had dropped from £3.86 down to 28p because the Chinese were back online by that point. So then it was a case of, right, well, what do we do with it now? So it's those sorts of things. But on a normal day-to-day basis, it's people looking for a little bit of seed funding. It's people that are um, wanting to change the network that they're in um, because they know all the people in their network so well, but they end up, as very often happens with lots of people, you end up being reintroduced to the people that you introduced people to in the first place, which is always slightly embarrassing. Um, and so they come to us just for just for a bit of a refresher, really. And I'm, I'm interested in this because, you know, in what I do, I have a network of my own. I've always been very um, reticent to open up my doors to too many people because, as we know, Lexi, you're only as strong as your weakest link. So um, is there a kind of a vetting process? Because, I mean, I'm sure everyone would love to come along to you and say, look, we'd love to be part of your, your network, please. But, but there must, I guess, be some kind of process of filtering these individuals and businesses to make sure you are maintaining the very high standards that you've clearly set for yourself. Yeah, I, I wouldn't, I, I would hate to call it a vetting process because it makes it sound um, sort of slightly convoluted. But actually, the, the key point for us is do we like them? And in my in my view, you're never going to work with somebody you don't like. And the chances are, if I like them, then other people will, mm. which probably makes me sound like a bit of a Scrooge. But, um, but I think they, if you can get that personal, uh, you know, the best meetings that I walk into are the meetings where no business is spoken about at all. You just get to know each other. You get to understand a little bit more about each other's backgrounds, about your lives, your kids, where you live, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Whereas I think if we can get that bit right and those people are likable, then they will come 
to an event and we'll invite them to an event. Mm -hmm. What we do say is that, because we do six or seven a year, um, what we do say is that we won't, won't invite any one person more than twice in one year, which allows the network to remain fresh. Yeah. And um, we're very careful to ensure that the people we are inviting are relevant to the venue that we're at. They're relevant to the other people that are going to be there. Um, but also that we're going to be proud to introduce them to other people in the room. Because it's, it's two hours. That's it. You know, it tends to finish at three in the morning because everybody gets on. But it's four till six normally. And so it is part of people's working day. So you do need to get something done. So we spend the first hour and a half walking around introducing people to each other and then having quick five-minute chats. And if they can switch, switch business cards, great. But what often we say is, well, listen, have a five-minute now, but I know this person's about to leave. Why don't you come and meet them quickly? And then you guys can stay and have a drink afterwards. Um, so it's not about it being exclusive. It's about it being relevant it's about it being a nice atmosphere and somewhere that people want to be and because ultimately the the commercial side of the business because all of that size free the commercial side of the business comes out of the additional questions that are asked afterwards i love the fact that it's scheduled four to six and finishes at three in the morning i mean that speaks of the success of your events alexi um so uh, a couple of things that you've mentioned, I'm going to touch on if I may. First of all, this whole concept of networking, you know, the millennials of the day would say networking, surely not. You know, what's wrong with just a good old fashioned text message or a bit of social media chat? Um, so I'd like to touch on the importance of networking. And, and then the other thing that you mentioned, if I'm not mistaken, was the importance of people liking each other, that face to face, that human interaction, which I think is very easy for us to forget about quite quickly. And I think, you know, given what's happened recently, I think we're all missing that, that little bit of human interaction again. Um, it, it, it sounds to me that that's at the core of the success of your, your business. Um, what would you say to people who say, you know, networking's dead, uh, you know, we can do all this by text message, SMS, or some other form of very informal, or rather very formal uh, communication method that doesn't involve networking because in my experience that that good old-fashioned face-to-face get to know somebody get to like somebody still works as well today as it's ever done but I, I just like your view on that really yeah I think it's a really interesting question I think it, it all it slightly depends on on what it is that you're trying to achieve as somebody in business um, but I think to go to the first bit um, networking most people would consider themselves terrible at it because most of them haven't, don't know where to start. Um, and actually, where you start is closer to home than you would imagine. And it starts with your friends and your family. And it starts with the connections that you've made at school and the connections that you've made at university. Colleagues that you've ended up working with on the way up. Um, you know, everybody's important. Uh, and go, just going back to my school days, I got given a piece of advice uh, by somebody who was just leaving the school as I got taken around the school before I started. And he said, no matter what, never, ever, ever forget the cleaners. Mm. I said, I, said I, don't, I don't really understand what you mean. He said, they are the most important person in this, people in this school. And do you know what? It stood me in really good stead. I would go down and have, have a 
cup of coffee with the with the ladies that washed our clothes. Um, and I would make sure that when I flew back to school, um, which that makes it sound very grand, but it was a bloody long way. It was 12 hours on the train or, or two hours on a plane. Um, but flew back to school to bring them a, a brick of cigarettes, you know, JP specials. Yeah. Uh, and those things were really important. And that network has never left me. Mm. Those people, I can still remember the names of those people because it's re- they were massively important to my, my growing up. And I think everybody that you meet has to be seen in their first instance as an important person. And it's not about what you can get out of them. It's about what you can do for them. Um, and, and even if, I mean, I try to leave every single meeting that, or, or every single conversation that I have want, trying to f- work out if there are five or ten people that I could introduce that person to that might further their career, change their life in some way, help them with a particular problem there is at the moment. And I think that's what networking is about. Can you do it virtually? Can you do it over over text? I don't think so. I think likability comes down to body language. It comes down to reading people. But then actually I was told the other day, it's probably something to do with my dyslexia. Because to be perfectly honest with you, I, I the first time I read a book, I was about 12, as in from cover to cover. Mm. Um, and my reading age at that, that time was about six. So it took me about a year. Um, and so everything that I read had to be through people. I had to read the body language. I had to second guess what was going to come next because everything I learned was from people. Uh, or back then, I guess, watching TV to a certain degree. Um, you know, God bless David Attenborough. Um, but the, you know, I, I, I cannot stress enough how important it is that people are face-to-face, particularly when working in the areas that I do with, with very wealthy people. You're expected to, see, to, to, to be trustworthy, and that requires you to be face-to-face. Yeah. That requires you to do a good job. So the obvious question then is, uh, given what's been going on recently, uh, which everyone is now living and breathing 24-7, um, how does that affect, what are, the, what are the obvious consequences to your business, you know, the networking, the face-to-face business? And, and as importantly, what have you done uh, in the face of that challenge to make sure that you survive this pandemic with all the other businesses out there? It's quite interesting you, you use the phrase survive. I think the first point of survival in, in this current situation, which, you know, none of us have been in before, um, is is mental health. And what I have already put into my head is that we're going nowhere till minimum of September. Now, if it opens up before that, fantastic. But I'm already there. I'm never going to get this opportunity to spend this amount of time with my family again. Uh, I'm never going to get the opportunity to teach my children, which, you know, I can't necessarily say is, is something I'm enjoying, but it is fascinating. Um, so that's the first thing I think getting yourself in the right place mentally is really important I think the second thing in terms of from a business perspective I've been very careful in the early stages to leave everybody alone 
to let them come to terms with what's going on because I know a lot of their businesses have suffered massively. Um, and they're going through the stress and strains of furloughing their staff. And, uh, you know, they've got their own problems. You know, they're coping with, with being at home and, and the, solid, the, the solitude. And so I left, I left everybody alone. Um, but what was interesting was the phone calls that started to come. And they were clearly the people that wanted, wanted some input. And not necessarily from a financial perspective, but just, just a, they needed that FaceTime. They needed somebody to, to get on, you know, Zoom or, or FaceTime or, or WhatsApp video calls, whatever it might be. Just because they wanted to see a face. They wanted to talk to somebody, pour a heart out if they needed to, have a laugh if they needed to. And so it's, I sort of get... <laughs> I guess I sort of took that as they need something. And if that need is a reassurance, then why can't I introduce them to 10 people, get them, getting them ready for, you know, when we are all back? Mm. And that will give them the benefit of, you know, they're still working towards something. They've still got things that are exciting in the future. They've still got people to meet. And so I think from our perspective, We've been very careful to leave people alone, but equally be very open-armed to say, listen, we're not here to make money. We know everybody's struggling. We know everybody's, you know, got to just pay the bills at the moment and those that they can pay and, and those that you are responsible for are the most important, whether that be your staff, whether that be your kids, whether that be your parents. Mm. Um, so for us, we're looking at this as less of a... Uh, money-making type time, you know, like we, we've all had it, we've all had those wonderful LinkedIn approaches of, well, do you need this? And I'm sure you need that at the moment. And in this terrible time, and you just kind of go, oh God, really? Mm. You know, take a breath, have a think about, you know, just have another look at your spelling in your, in your, in your email. <laughs> You've got time. Um, but it's, it's encouraging people that we are coming back and we are getting excited about it and and i think weirdly that the face-to-face bit everybody's going to be desperate when when we do all get back mm. to get face-to-face with everybody and have some massive party and you know it's a little bit you know there's ve day coming up at the end of this week um which you know it's quite quite a momentous thing and it's, it's an extraordinary thing that I don't think would necessarily get the kudos. And it doesn't, year on year, get the kudos it deserves. But I've got my kids turning around to me and saying, listen, can we make bunting? Can we all have, you know, tea outside in the garden? Can we all... And do something that's important for others and to remember for others. And the philanthropic side of people I have seen in m- many respects come to the fore during this time, which I think has been, been really lovely and heartwarming to see. I'll tell you what I love, if you don't mind me saying this, Alexi, what, everything I've heard from you today, I, I'm going to summarise it um, probably no better than this, but what I keep hearing is uh, on the flip side of every challenge, there's something really positive. Everything you've said, you, you have this innate ability to kind of turn it on its head and just go, there's the challenge, but, you know, Actually, if you look at this way, or you turn it upside down, uh, I guess the, the question then is, is, is that who you are? Are you, the, are you the fixer? Are you the person that does see the positive in everything and 
tries to find the solution uh, when everybody is really kind of scratching their heads and wondering, you know, what's next? Is, is that part of who you are? Is that developed through your experiences? Because clearly you're, you're in the best possible kind of business, given all of those wonderful personality traits that you have. But where does that come from? God, it's a really interesting question. I don't know. I think, um, I think through, well, the one thing that again could be more a fault than a, a, a praise is my mother's both a vicar and a psychotherapist, which is probably the reason I'm as screwed up as I am. But, um, but no, I think I, I think I look at any challenge as a challenge. And again, it goes back to my, my education. It goes back to having to work around dyslexia because um, it's not something that goes away. It, it's always there. And people have it to different degrees and, but nothing's impossible. And I like to think outside the box. I like to think about things in a very different way. So when somebody comes to me and says, I've got a problem, I look at it and go, no, 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 that's not a problem. That's a challenge. I love that. I love that we've got, I've got something to do. I've, you know, I can think about it. I can take this away. I can think about it. And I think if, if, if you look at those challenges, you look at, the idea of setting up your own business. You look at, you know, I set up, we set up Mayfair Collective on the understanding that we're going to fail, but let's give it a go. Now, is that the wrong way around to look at setting up a business? Almost certainly. But if you don't give it a go, you'll never know. And actually, we've we've had a really good time doing it. And we don't want to be rich. We don't want to, you know, feel like we, we can own a yacht. And we just want to be comfortable and have a nice time doing it. And I think if everybody sort of went into business with that, that in their minds, the moment you stop enjoying it for a, for, for a period of time is the moment to stop and do something else. Well, that is a, that is a lovely takeaway for everyone listening. So I, I, I suppose the last question before we ask you, couple of final questions the last of the kind of the formal questions that are floating around in my mind is that I I guess there's probably no one better to ask than you Alexia about uh, given you work with so many businesses and seen you know so many things going on in the last four years that you've been running Mayfair Collective um, what advice would you be giving to a business owner right now who is probably not able to frame things that way that you've been able to do you know kind of thinking gosh, what does the next six months, 12 months look like? How am I going to use that word again, survive all of this? What, what, what words of advice would you give to business owners who might be thinking, gosh, this is all looking a bit bleak at the moment? I think the natural thing, and, and again, this word survive, we'll all survive, whether we get, whether we get COVID or not, whether that means actually we go on somewhere else or whether that means that we come out the other side completely unscathed. What we need to look at, I think, is what can we do better? And what can we do with this time to improve on ourselves, improve on what we do and improve the balance of everything that we do do? So whether that is family life, whether that's uh, the time that you give to your staff, whether that's um, 
as a staff member that you really are giving as good as as you feel you should be and that for whoever you work for and are you doing it for the right reasons and i think if you can square all that stuff away and say yes i'm doing the best i possibly can all of the other stuff will come and all you can do is improve upon it and i would implore people to to speak to each other lots and there are people that don't like doing video calls so don't just video call somebody you know i've i've learned that um straight off the bat you know give give them time send them a text and ask if they want to call or video um even though you may feel comfortable with it they may not but speak to people carry on learning from people um because i have learned everything that i know from talking to other people and i was given an amazing piece of advice by a godfather when i was about oh 17 i think um and i was sort of thrashing about wondering what i was going to do with my life and he said what you do with your life doesn't matter all i would say to you is make sure that you go to five interviews a year and i had no idea what he meant i said but what if i like what if i love what i do and he said it doesn't matter you need to know what's your value financially what else is out there and what other things you might be able to do and those three things have sort of you know i always look at other people as being people that i can learn from and by going to those five interviews a year for the last 20 years it's been fascinating the people that you meet but you also go in everybody gets quite nervous about interviews um i've i don't think i've ever had an interview and got the job all the jobs i've ever had have have always come out of chance meetings or a conversation in the pub or whatever and i've ended up working somebody else and it's been great but all of the interviews i've gone into i've never gone into them thinking i really really want this job i've gone in to learn whether or not it is something i might want that's a really great is the person are they are they somebody that i really want to break my back for are they somebody that inspires me are they somebody i can learn from mm. and i think if you go into those sorts of things then particularly coming out the other side of this there will be lots and lots of people wondering what what's coming up next mm. you know nothing to stop you starting a conversation with somebody who owns a business who themselves may not know if they're coming they're going to come back from this yeah but you might start a conversation that means that you both set up doing something else Yeah, very good. How do we find out more about you, Alexi? As in, uh, is there a website? Is there any kind of social media presence? So if people want to look you up, they can find you easily enough. Yes. Yeah, so MayfairCollective.co.uk, um, which says a little bit about us, um, and then we also are on WhatsApp. No, not WhatsApp. Um, Twitter, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn. Perfect. Um, so do get in touch. We'd be delighted. Okay. And final question. Uh the question we ask to all of our guests and it's a very simple one. You uh, you've you've covered so much ground today. You've kind of answered it, but if we could drill it all down and if you know one of your lovely kids came up to you and said, "Dad, you know, I'm one of those 17-year-olds that isn't quite worked out what I'm going to do yet. Uh can can you give me that godfatherly piece of advice that you got when you were 17, but just drill it down to one single piece of advice above all others?" what would that single piece of advice be 
it's going to sound very cliched, but I would say help others because it will come back round. Well, that's clearly what you do for a living. Uh, and, and it's not cliche at all. Um, it's a mantra I've certainly lived by and, and a lot of very other successful people that I've, that I've met along the way um, have had that very much at the forefront of what they do. So um, all I can say is thank you. I, I'm, I'm losing track of the number of uh, great sound bites and takeaways uh, in today's podcast. And uh, you were very highly recommended for a reason. And I now know what that reason is. So on behalf of everyone listening to this podcast, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, don't ever change that name by Deepol, uh because it's definitely <laughs> the best one I've ever come across. So uh, Alexei Kantabuzain, uh, Speransky, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the Sandro Forte podcast. Thank you very much, Sandro. Thank you. Well, what can I say? Thank you for joining us on the Sandro Forte podcast. Wasn't Alexei Kantogazain Speransky? I'm going to learn that and it's going to be etched in my mind forever. He was absolutely inspirational. I love that podcast. Each week, don't forget, we've got a new guest joining us to share their own insights into achieving success or overcoming life challenges. Please make sure you subscribe. Follow us on social media, Sandro's podcast. You know the drill by now. Same on all channels. And if you want to email us, it's hello at sandrospodcast.com. And please remember those other things to connect with me, Sandro Forte. Uh, I'm the real Sandro Forte on Instagram for reasons I've explained before. Please leave the reviews on iTunes. That's really important so we know what kind of guests you'd like in the future. And occasionally you do get the chance to be entered into a draw to win one of the prizes donated by one of the guests on the Sandro Forte podcast. Until this time next week, have a good one. See you soon.